there hadn't been really an emergence of a new type of strategic acquirer. What I realized is that there was an opportunity to really build through Harry's a different path for some of these highly disruptive brands. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Tamina Hader, who is the head of Harry's Labs. Tamina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Excited to be here. Oh, indeed. So I'd like to start with your background. Before Harry's, you spent time in consulting at Estee Lauder, and then several years on the P side of consumer with various firms, including L. Catterton is the last one. How has that broad experience really shaped your view of consumer brands today? Well, you definitely got my resume right there, Dave. <laughs> um, and uh, as you mentioned, I've been sort of in and around consumer brands for over a decade now. And look, I think the way that those experiences have, I would say, like brought me to the, some of the theses that we're following here at Harry's Labs is really just the, the one, the fact that I've had the opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different brands and a lot of different categories in very different growth stages. So for example, you know, when I was at Bain Consulting, we were working with large companies that were tackling large strategic problems. And then more, most recently, when I was at El Catterton, we were working with high growth, early stage, often BTC oriented, disruptive brands. And I think the collection of those experiences have really made me understand a lot about the life cycle that brands go through and sort of what are some of those critical points along the way that in a lot of cases end up determining whether the brand has breakout success or doesn't and how you can best enable the brand to to push towards some of that success. So on that note of kind of those critical points, you, you left the PE world three years ago to join Harry's. What made you leave the investing side to get back to the brand side? (laughs) <laughs> it's a great question, Dave. Um, well, there was definitely a personal element to it, if I'm being totally honest, which is that, you know, I had worked with Andy and Jeff, the co-founders of Harry's in a prior life when we were all very young and fresh out of undergrad at Bain, Bain and Company and have just always had a lot of admiration for the two of them and for the company that they built. And I, I really felt like I was going to a place that would be highly values aligned for me as a person and really receptive to what I was trying to achieve in my career. So that was definitely a big factor in it. I can't not acknowledge that fact. But in terms of why I went back, I had at that point been working in sort of consumer private equity or growth equity slash middle market for about seven or eight years. And quite frankly, I think I thought it was exciting and fun. But as I thought about what I wanted for the next 10 or 20 years, I was seeing that the entire consumer landscape was changing so quickly and that the ways in which brands were getting funded were sort of like still living in a paradigm that was very similar to what it was five or 10 years earlier. Not to say things hadn't shifted, new players hadn't come into the market, but there hadn't been really an emergence of a new type of strategic acquirer. And I start, as I started talking to Jeff and Andy, what I realized is that there was an opportunity to really build through Harry's a different path for some of these highly disruptive brands. And that in doing so, if I were to participate in that, we could really have an impact on the way the consumer landscape is shaped over the next decade or two decades. And that felt like a really exciting thing to be a part of and a really exciting thing, quite frankly, to kind of be able to put in some way my stamp on. So diving into that a little bit more, Harry's is a brand that nearly everyone knows because of the success they've had over the last decade. But Harry's Labs is kind of a newer effort that's within the company. What's the overall strategy of the group? 
So when we take a step back and think about Harry's Labs, there's obviously a strategic role that it plays within the context of Harry's as a business. And then we also think about what is the role of Harry's Labs when it comes to supporting the growth of the brands that we partner with. You know, how can we be a different kind of partner? One that hopefully is, you know, highly likely to bring success to the brands that we partner with. So the easy question on the on the internal side is that the strategy behind Harry's Labs is driven by a desire to expand the Harry's Inc. addressable market and, and to really think about bringing diversification into our larger business. I think from a Harry's perspective, what we realized as we were building Harry's Labs, what was really the reason why I think Jeff and Andy and then myself got excited about this concept is that through building the brand Harry's, which as you mentioned, most people know today because it's quite a large brand, there was a ton of capabilities that had to be built both on the back end side, so finance, legal, IT, distribution, warehousing, but also really importantly on the front end side when it comes to scaling DTC, entering FDM retail, really expanding a brand from its core first category into other categories. We had learned a lot in that process and built a lot of internal capabilities that we knew could be really helpful to other brands that were on a similar journey, even if they were in different categories within CPG. And so a lot of the sort of internal motivation or the original thesis behind this was like, hey, I think we've built some stuff that we can really use to help other brands. And then when we think about the strategy of labs out in the market, of course, it's grounded in the same thing, that we want to go out there and help brands on their journey, help them with those capabilities that we've built through those capabilities that we've built internally. But I think really importantly for us, what we're trying to do, as I touched on in my prior question, is offer a different kind of path to founders and brands, one in which we hope those brands can really stay true to what made them distinct and winning in the beginning when they were first starting out, when they saw in the market that there was a way to serve consumers better, and to really stay true to that as they scale, as we sort of layer in a lot of the capabilities that we have at Harry's and also a lot of the aspirations of the founders and the brand builders that we partner with. So you specifically mentioned that diversification was one of those strategies. Are there particular kind of categories that Harry's Labs is focused on, or is it more thematically based? Well, I'm going to answer your question in two parts, Dave, which is a really good one. First, we do have sort of a, an area of the market that we focus in, and that's because we think it's where we have the most expertise. It's, it's where some of those capabilities I mentioned before, scaling on DTC, going into FDM retail in a really disruptive way, building talent differentially and continuing to build a really entrepreneurial culture. It's where we've had experience doing that. And that's for us within the world of CPG. And so specifically for us, the categories that we broad categories that we focus on are personal care, of course, beauty, pet care, home care, really home cleaning, home fragrance, and health and wellness. So those are the areas of focus for us. And then within those areas, we try to take an approach which is very oriented around what our mission is here at Harry's, which is to create things people like more. So we're really focused on understanding where are there opportunities within those categories or subcategories that sit within them where consumers are not really getting an optimized experience today. Something about the experience is not quite hitting what would be truly surprise and delight. And we are looking for brands that, that are actually offering something that will create that sort of like optimized customer experience. So when you play that out and kind of think about the, the next steps, is it just looking at acquisition? Is there investment, incubation? You know, what's the, the overall strategy in that part? Another great question, Dave. Well, I, I, first I will say that 
I would never say never on any of those, the three things that you just mentioned, because I do think as we grow, Harry's Labs is still only about three-ish years old, a little less to be frank, actually two-ish years old. And we will continue to evolve our strategy as time goes on. Today, we really focus on two things, incubation. So like you mentioned, starting new brands. We've launched you know, three brands beyond Harry's. We launched Flamingo at the end of 2018. We launched Cat Person in the beginning of 2020. And most recently, we launched Headquarters in the beginning of 2021. And that will continue to be an important part of our strategy, really identifying where there are white spaces that we can innovate into and build new brands. But as you mentioned, the other really important leg of the stool that we're really focused on right now is M&A. And there we are really focused on acquisitions. That said, we do think about our acquisitions a little bit differently than a more traditional strategic acquisition insofar as our acquisition strategy is really oriented around partnering with founders and, and or the brands, the people who are building a brand and really creating a structure which in which they're one given a lot of agency to operate and make decisions for their brands within the context of being owned by Harry's. So we've got a lot of capabilities that we can support them with, but they're really the owners of the brand and the go-to-market strategy. And also making sure that the economic structure of the deal rewards them for the success, not just today, but also the future success that they're able to drive for the brand. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. When you look back at the history of Harry's, you know, it's one of the first D2C brands that really started to evolve into more of an omni-channel, in particular with a physical presence in, let's call it FDM and more traditional why do you think it's so important for emerging brands to think about that multi-channel strategy? One thing I would say, Dave, is I, I think that we think about Harry's and the moment at which we sort of decided that it was right for us to go to FDM as sort of twofold. One, we made that decision at a moment when we knew that there were a lot of customers for whom shopping in FDM for Harry's in particular for the men's grooming category was, was and was going to continue to be important given the category dynamics and the ways in which customers engage with that category. And so when we think about, and the second was we had a great partner who we knew would support us and allow us to go to market within the FDM channel in a really highly disruptive way. And people talk a lot about, you know, obviously the way Harry's went to market at Target and what our end cap looked like and our big orange razor. And I think that's one of the sort of iconic moments in our brand's history. But I think that that taking a step back, I think the philosophical approach of you should go to FDM retail or you should expand channels if you are a DTC native brand, when is the right moment for your consumer? When you know that in order to get that's like larger chunk of consumers or that set of consumers that you're not able to reach through DTC, you need to go into FDM retail. That feels like for us, the moment in which brands should go into FDM retail. It should always, as sort of almost all our decisions are when it comes to our brands, be oriented around the consumer. 
And then I think, you know, specifically recognizing that moment's going to be different for different brands that are operating in different categories. We think of FDM retail as a way to really tell our brand story in a different way to consumers who may not have appetite to shop on a branded.com website. I always think about it this way. If you're a consumer, you're not going to manage, you know, 20 or 25 subscriptions, right? You're going to have DTC subscriptions or direct DTC engagement in the categories in which you have most engagement or you care the most about. And so you have to recognize at a certain point, there are going to be consumers who you want to shop your brand, but they are going to want to shop on it in a way that requires a little bit less direct engagement. And that's a right for us, the right moment with to think about FDM retail when you want to get to that consumer. Playing that out a little bit more, you know, when you think about that right moment of time, if you will, you mentioned the three brands that Harry's has launched in addition to the core business. How's the brand think about when's that right moment to expand, not just into a new category, but possibly expand with a new brand and move into more of that house of brand strategy, if you will? Yeah. Look, I don't know that I have the answer for others. I can probably only say that for Harry's in particular, the decision to go and to launch additional brands and to go out into the market and acquire brands was really came off a perspective that there was a lot of capability internally for us to go and help other brands do what Harry's had been able to successfully do. And it didn't have a lot to do with Harry's itself insofar as Harry's has got a ton of runway. The company and the brand in particular continue to grow extremely rapidly. We have launched APDO earlier this year, so launching into new categories. We're taking the brand international. It's already in the UK and Canada, launched into the EU this year, broader, more broadly into the EU. And so it really didn't have a lot to do with kind of the, the Harry's brand itself. It had much more to do with an observation about our internal capabilities and the fit that they had with the market more broadly. I mean, I don't have to say to you, obviously, there's a lot of disruption happening within the consumer space and in particular within CPG and a recognition that there are going to be new brands that emerge as winners. And so it really felt like the external forces and our internal realizations were sort of clicking and that made, made it feel like this was a strategy that was worth pursuing. So as we started the conversation, you mentioned, you know, the idea behind Harry's Lab was really about being a new type of strategic acquirer. How do you think a brand should evaluate what's the right type of acquirer for them if they are lucky enough to get to that stage of their business? Yeah, no, great question. It is a really important question, I think, for, for brands to ask themselves. I think, you know, in my prior life, I spent a lot of time thinking about that question for brands as they might have been exiting our portfolio. And of course, engaging a lot with brands upfront as we were thinking about bringing them into our portfolio. And I think about the same things today when it comes to brands we speak to that are out in the world on sort of what options they're thinking through and whether Harry's Labs could be a good fit. What I would say is the first and foremost thing I would think about as a brand is what do I want to achieve over the next sort of three, five, even 10 years? What's my long-term aspiration? And what are going to be the things that are most important for me to get there? I often ask founders when I'm on the phone with them, I very specifically say, like, what does success look like for you? I really want to understand like what that picture is, what that vision is that they have for themselves and for their brand. And I always ask them, what do you think could get in the way of you getting there? What are the things that are potential roadblocks? 
And as I would think about a partner, I would look for a partner that one shares that broad aspiration that you have for your brand and for yourself as a part of that brand, if you're the founder or the person building that brand. And then two, do they have the knowledge, expertise, and capabilities to help you hopefully mitigate some of those things that might get in the way of you achieving that outcome. The things that you know, sort of are in the back of your mind that might impact you today or might impact you in three or four or five years. How do you make sure that the partner that you're bringing on is someone who has the right capabilities to do? And that is interesting because I would say like what I've not said is valuation. I don't, evaluation is of course important and funding is of course critical. You do need to ensure that, you know, whoever it is that you're partnering with can provide the access to capital that you need to grow your business. But I think there's a lot of folks who can offer capital. And it's really about thinking about who's going to be that right partner for you as you think about the next stage of your brand and growth. Given your broad experience that you had in consumer, where do you think you're, are going to be the biggest trends that we see just in the general world of emerging brands in the years to come? <laughs> well, I definitely don't have a crystal ball. I wish I did because I could, you know, I could really have a great investment track record if I did. But I can offer some thoughts on what I tend to think about in terms of what is likely to impact brands and consumer behavior. And for me, the most interesting thing that we spend a lot of time thinking about at labs are what are the big macro cultural trends that are happening and how are those impacting how people are going to spend today and in the future? So, you know, a long time ago, folks were talking about health and wellness as a big trend. In my prior life at Catterton, we were really ahead of investing in that trend and invested it in a bunch of different ways, right? We invested it in terms of fast casual and restaurants that were servicing the, the ways in which people were changing how they ate. We sort of did it in terms of on the apparel side, we backed a bunch of companies that were offering clothing that is oriented around kind of activity and exercise, you know, that like athleisure trend. And then we did it, of course, more directly in fitness brands. And I think about those types of trends as the way to think about where are there going to be big disruptions. I think health and wellness continues to be something that's really important. My perspective is that today, a lot of it is actually more oriented around one, a real movement input that accelerated during COVID to a really proactive approach to health and wellness versus a reactive approach. And you're seeing that touch a lot of different categories. It's touching personal care. It's touching VMS. It's touching a lot of different categories. And so for me, that's the type of trend that I look for and start to think about how is that going to impact how consumers spend their time and their money across categories. There are, I think, a lot of others. There's so much discussion today about identity and the way in which people form an identity and the badges that they wear, quote unquote, which oftentimes are oriented around the brands that they choose to shop. And so I do think there's going to be a lot of move for brands to embrace new and emerging identities and give people an opportunity to show those with pride. So those are the types of broad trends that we tend to try to pay attention to and then think really thoughtfully about which categories are going to impact and how. I love that. I think that's a great, great way to look at it. Well, it's always a pleasure to sit down and have a conversation. And thank you for sharing the stories of uh, Harry's Labs. No problem. Thank you so much, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.